I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. Uh, go check out knowyourscript.org. They're going to help you talk to yourself, talk to your doctor, talk to loved ones about opioids and see if there's a safer alternative out there. Sometimes there's not, but they're going to give you the right questions to ask because what, Dr. Matt, we've got to be advocates for our own health. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes there there aren't Better. I mean, the, the opioid medicines, when they're used appropriately mm-hmm. for things that they should be used for, um, they're, they're an effective medicine. And so that might be what you talk to your doctor about, not necessarily an alternative, but if that's what I need to use, how do I use it safely? I'm going to give you some homework. Okay. Do you have Hulu? Yeah, we got the Hulu. Unfortunately, we have all those things, I think, by uh, this point. Have you checked out Dope Sick? No, you guys talk about it, though. It sounds pretty cool. So Dope Six, all about big pharma and the introduction of, uh, I think it was Oxycontin. Or, right, Oxycontin. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, just all the stuff and how it just, just I mean, it was the beginning of what we are now seeing. And, and it, I'm only a couple episodes in there because I'm going to be honest with you, uh, for the world we live in, it's pretty heavy watching. Is uh, it? For those who are uh, maybe in recovery, it might even be triggering. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, I mean, it's 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 some crazy stuff. So, uh, okay, I'll watch a few episodes. We can talk about it. I've heard it's really good and really, uh, like you said, direct, honest. Oh, yeah. Place, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm back from a vacation. You did a wonderful job with your doctor friend. He was wicked smart. Oh, Dr. Weeks, Howard Weeks. You kidding me? He truly, and I'm not just building him up. Uh, I've known him for a really long time, and he's one of the most level-headed, intelligent, just knock it out of the ballpark docs I know. You know, I couldn't I, believe I, we could get him on the show, actually. Well, I can't believe that you're my friend because you're one of the most level-headed, <laughs> smartest guys I know. Well, and you bring you. so much credibility to this podcast. I remember when we first came up with the idea, and I, and I came up with this idea while I was in recovery. Right. And KSL says, we'll let you do it. But you need a doctor. And I was like, they I fired you first. Yeah. And then they said you could do it. Yeah. And yeah. I said, I got a doctor friend and I called you. And you, I mean, without you, this podcast wouldn't be where oh, it is. Thanks, so man. thank you for your insight and everything that you bring into this podcast. Uh, like I said, I, I was out last week. And so Dr. Matt held down the fort. I went on a bucket list golf trip. Oh, absolutely. I went to North Carolina. I've told people where you were and everybody's just jealous i've never been to north carolina i've never been to pinehurst uh and uh it's a world-class golf f- facility i mean it's like we kept walking around going this is like disneyland for golfers oh i, I mean bet. the first day we were there we played 36 holes the second day what? we played 36 holes the third day we played 18th and the fourth day we played 18 how how are your arms my shoulders would be all worn out and it's different grass down there and uh 20 years ago this would have been a different trip what about the humidity? I, I know you're going somewhere, but I, I've heard from a lot of golfers. I've never golfed in a really humid environment. Is that was it pretty humid there? They say in July, uh, walking around the golf well, I guess course, this time it's, it's year, just like walking not. out of a shower. You're yeah, just so dripping. the ball travels differently. Yeah, and, and it's it was a little to, bit cold. Uh, we were, had to wear like beanies a couple days. 
Oh, okay. And so it, it, it was cool. Uh, and so I, but I had nothing to compare it to. Uh, I, I, my score was absolutely horrible. <laughs> really? It was it was the worst golf I've played in three years. Why? Just because it's a different kind of grass. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a new course. I'm used to only playing one course, and so there was just a lot going on there. But it was crazy. Uh, there was eight of us. Uh, from and these are all old-time friends, right? Some of them are old. Some of them are new. So the, the average age was probably mid-40s, mm-hmm. um, but the age range was from about 28 to 53. Okay. Uh, and eight of us, and we went down there and just kind of golfed and talked and hung around. Uh, and, and I had some interesting things happen. So one of my oldest friends, we were driving around, and he looks at me and he goes, Casey, I go, yeah. He goes, do you think you could have one beer? Now, let me get this right before you get out your poison pens or whatever. He wasn't trying to offer me a beer, wasn't trying to talk me into a beer, was just curious of just my mindset. wondering where you were at. And I get these questions a lot. Because you and he, in the past... Would have tied one on. Yeah. And, 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 and talked ourselves into some bad decisions. <laughs> uh, but... I get these questions a lot from people because sometimes it's people who are thinking if they've got an alcohol problem, wondering if they've got an alcohol problem, and just trying to figure out my mindset and how my world works. So he was just generally asking, do you think you could have one beer? He was curious, and to be honest, I get that a lot when I run into people and they ask how you're doing, and they they wonder, like, is he really – is he really, you know, is he doing well, you know, that kind of stuff. So I I think it's a normal curiosity. So I'm going to answer this – the most honest way I can. With a beatbox? No, I wish no. I could. Okay. Um, <laughs> and this might make people mad. Do I think I could have one beer? Yes. I think I could have one beer. But would I have one beer? Not a chance in the world. Because there is nothing in that beer that's going to make my life better. There's no reason to even try that beer because one beer is not worth everything that I've worked so hard to get. My family, my career, my job, everything. You know what I mean? I have put so much sweat, blood, and tears into getting where I'm at right now that there, that beer would have to be the most amazing beer ever, like a world, a life-altering beer. Another way to look at it is you've already had all the beers. Yeah. You know what that does, right? But on like the other that. side of that coin – that beer is a life-altering beer because if I do that, mm-hmm. my life will be changed. I, I couldn't do this podcast because I wouldn't be able to sit here and tell you the things that I've learned and what I've done. And it's not worth it for me to try that. Well, but people have uh, – they have relapses. Yeah. The, the, yeah, they do have relapses. But that, that's not the way – You don't want to have a relapse. I don't want to have a relapse. And I know that's really important to you. I don't want to have a relapse. Yeah. I love my life. I can't believe the things that I'm able to do where I am at looking back three years ago. I never thought this would be possible. So that beer has nothing in store for me. No good will come from yeah. that beer. And so, I've heard you say that before, and I really like that perspective. Um that, that there's nothing in the beer that makes your life any better. I, I like that perspective. It, it, it wouldn't do anything. In matter of fact, it would do the exact opposite. And I don't want that. So when I say, do I think I could? Like my mind goes. Like have one beer and not keep drinking. Yeah. Is the, right? But why? That, I, I, I didn't drink beer because I like the taste. I, I drink beer because I like to get drunk. And one beer is not going to do it. So why would I even do that? 
Right. But what about the person that does? Like you said, well, I couldn't come on the show and I couldn't talk about all the things I've learned if I had that beer. What do you think about somebody who has a relapse, so they obviously drank again, and then they come back and they're sober? And Can we listen to those folks? No, like, yeah, you can listen to them because they own it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, I'm just talking for me. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't make sense to me. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. And yeah. it, it holds nothing of value to me. How much better... So that so so this this happened this conversation with your 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 longtime friend happened on a a bucket list I mean honestly just a dream come true for US any Open's golfer there. yeah U S Open and it's world famous Payne people. Stewart won the the Open there yeah and and people travel from all over the world to get a chance to to golf there so for any golfers listening you know how big a Pinehurst. deal it is to go to Pinehurst and and the beautiful North Carolina and all of that so how much different or better it was this trip now because you weren't drinking versus if you and all these friends had gone five ten years ago because i remember playing all the courses i remember the conversations i had with everybody on that trip um i appreciated it a lot more than i ever would have i was a spoiled brat and i was giving a lot of cool experiences and never really fully appreciated them You've had some amazing experiences. I mean, I've done some amazing things. And yep. so, and, and, and I was grateful for them, but I was also used to them being given to me. And this is something that I had to work for. And so much the fact that I didn't have all the money to go on this trip. My buddies put money together and bought my airfare. I didn't know if you'd bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. They put money together because they wanted me to be out there and appreciate it, and they were proud of my hard work, and I'm remodeling my house, and I don't have a lot of money, and they wanted me there, so they chipped in and got me there. Yeah. I mean, those are – Great friends. Yeah, those are the best friends. World-class friends. Yeah. And at no point did anyone ever try to get me to drink. They were just curious. People are curious. Yeah. Well, I think I think that – I mean, I knew that's how you'd answer the question, but I mean, think about that. Like – like, what do we miss out on in life when we're not present? We miss out on everything. We miss out on the most important things. We miss out on the relationships. Uh, you miss out on the beauty of the moment when you're not present. And a lot of different things can take us out of the moment. But, I mean, think about You mentioned even the grass is different. Yeah. You know, uh the you sand was different. You wouldn't have noticed that. No. Those things. You wouldn't have appreciated. I like that word. You wouldn't have appreciated the differences. So, I mean, honestly, anger can take us out of the moment. Any kind of addiction can take Jealousy us out of the can. moment. Jealousy. Some The worst things in life take us out of the moment. The best things in life usually bring us back into the moment. So this will go to another experience. So there are some people that were on the trip that drank. And it wasn't like heavy drinking. Nobody really got super plowed. It wasn't one of those deals where we're calling the next morning. Hey, we're teeing off in five minutes. Where are you? I'm just waiting. No, there was any of that because I think we're a little bit older now and a little more responsible and just probably don't have it. Past that. Yeah. Yeah. But one night afterwards, we're all sitting around the bar, and people are having some drinks. And this one guy was, I think we'll go back to the cabin. I'll go, I'm going to go. So I get in the cabin, and it's about 10 o'clock. Go home, get in bed, wake up the next morning. And every day, you're partnered with different players, so you get a chance to play with everybody. And this one guy goes, hey, did you leave last night because you just can't handle it when people are drinking? Oh. And I go, no. He goes, well, that's what people thought. And he goes, why did you leave? 
I said, do you want me to be honest with you? And he goes, yeah. And I go, it wasn't fun. <laughs> you know, because you guys are all kind of, it, it's like being on the inside of an inside joke. Right. When you guys are all drunk and everybody's feeling all goofy, it's an inside joke. And when I'm out here, I'm not feeling the same way you guys are. And I'm not laughing at the same things and things aren't hitting me the same. So I sat around for you guys for a while and then it just wasn't fun. Yeah. And so I, I just left. It wasn't because the pressure and people were ordering drinks and I thought I'd succumb to, to doing a drink. It just wasn't fun. And it was nothing against you guys because you guys weren't being obnoxious and you weren't, you weren't, but it wasn't fun for me. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to just sit around and not have fun. I'd rather just go home and go to bed and get up and it's go inter- golf. It's interesting that they, you know, had, that some, they were wondering about that. Yeah. That was hard like, for you. Is that but I mean, it makes sense yeah, that they might I, wonder that. But I guess what I'm trying to get with this podcast is that. Ask me any question. I'll be as honest as I can with you. People ask me all the time, you know, what are you doing or what's going on? I go, this is what I'm doing and it seems to work for me and it makes sense for me. I'm not saying it will for you, but these are the things that I've come across in my recovery. These are things that have helped me. And if they help you, cool. If not, you will never know if you don't ask the question. So ask any question you want. Uh, I won't always have the right answer. I have the answer that works for me. And and it seems to be working. Well, I think one thing that I like about you, Casey, is you're always been pretty honest about I mean, when people talk i mean for the most part yeah. you know you know and i think that you're really approachable and this isn't a subject everyone's approachable on people have a lot of shame or embarrassment or you know uh feelings that you know that they're not quite settled with themselves and so they don't want to talk about it but i'm curious so so we had those two conversations on the trip you had your buddy asked could you have a beer and you had mm-hmm. the other guy said did you leave because it was hard for you being around all of us drinking, and it sounds like they talked about that a little bit. Do you think anybody, like by the end of the trip, do you think some of those, I wouldn't call them fears because they're not, but maybe curiosities or questions were wiped away? Like, do you think being with you all that time helped them get a better sense of where you're at for real? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I, I think 100%. I think there was probably some people who I'd been partying with for 30 years Thought if this was going to be the time, this is the time he would. You're do out it. of state. Nobody's going to see you. You're yeah. with your old buddies. You're but, golfing, which is a place you normally drank in the past. The hardest thing I had on that whole trip was Advil and Red Bull. Ah, sugar free. Hopefully, yeah, it was. Yeah, you can't go with the full sugar. But Red I Bull. did meet a guy whose mom works for the credit union I go to, and she's going to put my mugshot on my credit union on my card. <laughs> Awesome. I'm going to leave you with that. Come back. I want to talk to you about it. I finally got the breathalyzer out of my car, Ooh, yeah. what it means to me, and a couple more things that I've learned along the way. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said... You need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey. 
Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Raise your hand if you don't blow anymore. <laughs> I don't have to blow in to start my car anymore, man. Nice. Congratulations. Two years I've has, had that thing. Has it really been two years? Two years. Wow. So I've... Uh, every... That went fast for me. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what? After the last video we posted probably a couple weeks ago where my daughter's new friend saw me doing it and questioned me. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, it made me think, but I had a relationship with this... Intoxilizer, I think that's what they're called, and uh, you know what I mean. I, is it called the intoxilizer? Into- that's maybe. awesome. Or you no, know, it's an interlock. Oh, an interlock. Oh, intoxilizer sounds way cooler. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I named her. So, so you got it out. Now, do you do you like get in and like have that habit of going to? So I got this car. It's uh, so I like to tell everybody I got a bomb's car and a dad's bod. I got uh-huh. this GMC Acadia. Nice. And uh, for the longest time, every time I look down at my keys, I'll show you. There's this button. And it's really cool. See this top button right here? Uh-huh. You know what that does? Nope. Remote start. Oh, remote start. I've never had a remote start. You know what you can't do when you've got an interlock in your car? Remote start. I've never been able to remote start this car. Uh, now you can. You know, you got these cool winners uh, here in Utah. Just in time. And so I can get up and get ready to go to the gym, lean out the window. Boop, 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 boop. Get it going. Remote start when I get in there. Heated seats. Everything's groovy. Living the life. But it was crazy, and I'm thankful that I had that uh, interlock in my car for two years. It was a safety net. It was an easy way to get me out of sticky situations. I never really had them, but it was nice to have. It was like who was it? Linus with the blankie on peanuts. Linus, yeah, yeah. It was like it was like my whoopee. It was my safety blanket. So, so you felt like it made you feel like secure that because. You're, I mean, I don't think you ever use this term necessarily, but I would say your trauma started with a car accident. Yeah, 100%. And so it, it made you feel more comfortable getting in the car knowing there's no way you can drive it without being sober? You know, I never really thought about that, but yeah. I mean, it was, it was I was always behind the wheel. I, was, I knew I was 100% sober with that. You know what I mean? And well, I was just working with your Linus blanket yeah. sort of uh, analogy there. But it was but it was good. But yeah, I think that's a great analogy. And so yeah. here's the thing is I would get in the car, you'd blow in it, yeah. it would count down, and it would pop up zero, 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 and at that point you could turn your car and start it. Okay. Uh, and then you were good for about 15 minutes, and then it would go off. Beep, 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 I didn't beep, realize beep, it was beep, every 15 beep, minutes. Beep, <laughs> and then I'd have yeah. to bit the button, it would yeah. count down, I'd blow in it, yeah. and it'd register zero, 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 and you keep going. And so about every 15 minutes. So on average, I was blowing it seven, eight times a day, mm. depending on uh, you know how heavy my workday was. Uh, but we've had people on this podcast who have said that they had their children blow in it so they could start their car. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't one of those things that was registered to just my breath. So it's not a, not a completely fail-safe system. You no. Could, you could – Subverted, I guess. But it would be stupid to have a drunk guy drive it and a sober guy and the passenger blown in it. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? True. <laughs> you but, know. you know, stupider things have happened. Or, you know, and we've had people who are totally ashamed that they had their children blow into that. Yeah, I bet that happens more than asking a, another adult to blow. You yeah. Know, to somebody with a driver's license. I bet, it, I bet that happens quite a bit, unfortunately. But as I was driving down here today, I heard on the radio uh, that in 2026... All new cars coming off the assembly assembly line are going to have some sort of alcohol detection uh, app or device in them. I haven't heard of this, so this must be fairly new? 
Yeah, fairly new. Uh, the last I heard about it uh, was it was going to be 2024, but it looks like it's been pushed back to 2026. And so when I was getting this out, I was talking to uh, my guy, and uh, he goes, I go, so is this going to run you out of business? He goes, no, because all the newer cars are going to have it, but still the older cars are going to need something like this. So it's so just to re- recap, this is – I'm not opposed to this, but it sounds insane. They, they, they are going to have some system. Mm-hmm. In all brand new cars starting 2026. Whether it's something you blow in or something that can detect uh, the odor of alcohol in there to a certain degree that will now allow the car to either start or not start. So, and you were mentioning like maybe uh, a red light. They, they, they said on the news a, a laser that would scan your skin it to can detect de- alcohol in the oh, blood. Oh, okay. So, because I'm thinking. And it would just okay. Yeah, there's just a lot of questions I have but, about. But the that. thing is, is that you're probably thinking, well, this is an invasion of privacy. Who's well, going to sign up? For so there's this? that. I'm just wondering about the, the the technology. If like if I go buy a brand new car in 2026, every 15 minutes, am I going to have to no, engage I don't, I don't, the system? I don't know how that or, is. But I, I I said when I when we started this podcast, I don't know why it's not standard in every car. You know, you can get game centers in there. You can get movies. You can get all this stuff. Yeah. And 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 people are like, well, that's just it's a vase of my my freedom. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, and you go really. So I want to hear an argument for why you should be able to drink and drive. That's the that's the counter side of that, right? How, how are you going to justify this? Yeah, yeah. So somebody might say, uh, you know, it's an invasion of my privacy. I should be able to get in my car and do whatever I want. And it's like, but that's where and we've had a lot of conversations about you know what's a personal right and what's not it's it's not your personal right to go hurt other people no and how many people are killed or injured every year i also heard on the news coming down here that i think there was five alcohol related deaths or accidents a day in the state of utah that's incredible that's so many people yeah and and i mean it's people we know Mm-hmm. You, people you and I, I was know. one of them. You were one of them, and people we know, people we've had on the show, um, family members. I mean, those those statistics will catch you. You're you're not going to get out of it. You're not going to ever live your whole life and not know somebody who's killed or injured in a car, drunk driving accident. My DUI lawyer told me once, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah. And if you do it for any certain amount of time, eventually it'll catch up to you. Something's going to catch up to you. Yeah. Well, I think that'll be that'll be interesting to see how. I mean, if they're already announcing it, I wonder if the legislation has gone through yet. I think so. I think it said in twenty twenty six that it's going to be you know uh, yeah in I all mean, new cars. It's in the new infrastructure Biden bill. Bill Bill Biden. Yeah, that's Biden just bill. what Josh, our producer, said. Josh knows a lot of stuff. Right. Well, yeah. he's he's our go to guy. Yeah, we call uh, him Mister Google. Okay. Well, that's cool. I'm. Uh, what do you think about it? You. you I think it's it? a great idea. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a good idea to put that interlock system that I had in my car into any kid's car under the age of 18. See, that I would definitely agree with as well because the 16-year-olds are really not techni- technically, neurologically ready to drive. Mm-hmm. Like the impulsivity that that is 16-year-old, oh, especially 16-year-old. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 
especially boys, but 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 all of them, they're they're disastrous. And so I think getting your license, there ought to be a lot of restrictions. They've tried, you know, when you and I were a kid, they just give you a license and you go do your thing. Now you're supposed to wait six months before you nobody drive friends, six but months. nobody does it because there's no oversight. This would be one of those training issues because they may think, well, how many kids 16, 17, 18 are driving drunk? A lot. Yeah. Of them, I mean, and they have no impulse control over their. I shouldn't say that they they don't demonstrate very much impulse control over they their lack. alcohol use. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. and and therefore they make poor decisions, including getting in their car. Let's take it a home. step further. Twenty one and under. I that I would be. How do you fine argue that? that you shouldn't have alcohol in you, so it shouldn't be a problem. Right. Well, people don't like you know the state telling them what to do, but then those are the same people that don't want their family members killed or injured in a car accident yeah. due to alcohol. So it's just hard. It's hard to argue against. No, I'm I'm all for it. I mean, if the technology is available, I would especially be interested in the skin thing, just because blowing into a thing seems annoying. But well, I know so. You know, but I mean, whatever the technology is. Here, here's the thing. I know a little bit about that, not because I had one, but there's an ankle monitor. That you can put on for people that are on house arrest. Mm-hmm. I know this because I've been in rehab and I've spent some time uh, around my people. Yeah. Uh, so there's an ankle bracelet right. and it's got something on there that it'll test alcohol. Like every four hours, it sends just, something. Just through your skin. Just through your skin. Yeah. Well, I, I I would imagine that's the technology they would use versus yeah. blowing, but who knows. But so I'm, I'm interested. I'm going to have to look it up and read up on it. So I don't blow anymore. Congratulations. Pretty stoked about That's that. That's very, Thank very you. cool. Thank you. Uh, other thing is, uh, just uh, the other night, my oldest daughter, Presley, yeah, the one who wrote me the letter, who's right. a gift, yep. just turned 17. 17. Yeah. I was going to go into her, uh, so I went and got her a cake on her birthday mm-hmm. and put a candle on it and then grab my other two kids and we went and sang her happy birthday. Mm-hmm. I was going to put, she's only 17 by warrant. No. And then I read the no, words no, no, and I was no, like, this no, is a no, bad no, idea, no, Casey. No. This is a bad idea. No. Yeah, so we just that, sang yeah. the traditional happy birthday. Good job. Yeah. yeah was that, see, there's some good impulse control. But we were talking about it the other night about uh, the letter she wrote me and then we put it online. Oh, you did? You, go, you, you know, the letter. Oh, the, the, I thought you meant you put something no, new no, online. No. But yeah. we went and looked at it. That thing's at 6.5 million views. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, well, uh, it resonated with people. It was touching. But I think it, I I think the message I took from that is it's hopefulness. We all need hopefulness. Like I think there are a lot of people, like you said earlier, um, when they ask questions about your drinking, maybe they're considering their own drinking. They're in that pre-contemplation or contemplation phase, and it, it's very encouraging to know you can be forgiven. And I think that's one of the biggest worries we all have in life is the people that matter to us, will they really forgive us when we mess up? And I think that's the beautiful message of that uh, letter. And I can tell you right now, she's my best friend. She's uh, she's amazing. So I, I just wanted to say on this, happy birthday, Presley. Dad loves you. You know what she calls me? What's up? Daddy-o. Daddy-o. She's always nice. like, what's up, daddy-o? I kind of <laughs> like it. Your kids are cool, man. Yeah, I'm cool. So I'm uh, no, I'm... You, you, you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Matt, before we end this, you brought some statistics. Uh, and you're homework. saying the pandemic is – we've said this two years ago when it started, yeah. uh, that it was a perfect storm for substance. Uh, to, to Mental health, substance abuse. All of it's, it. We've had – unfortunately, everybody knows there's been a big increase in depression, uh, loneliness, uh, anxiety, suicidality, as well as um, you know substance abuse and health and death uh, as a result of all those things. 
you know, so we've had, you know, in the, the first year of COVID, there was an increase of 52 percent uh, of deaths caused by synthetic opioids. So pills, right? Half. I mean, yeah, that uh, is that's a tremendous increase, unfortunately, because we, we've been starting to get sort of some headway on the opioid crisis in this country and, and COVID eight, you know, people feel alienated and loss of jobs and legitimate tremendous stressors yeah. in their lives. Right. Um and a lot of that's uh, – it's been worse with older people, actually, who are already kind of teetering on the brink of, you know, feeling isolated and alone if they're living either alone or in assisted living, those sorts of things. Um, but one of the things I wanted to – so the, there's a new – there are a few new studies out on, uh, from the CDC. And for those of you, like my good friend Casey, that get most of your news from Facebook, I, do. I would encourage you to go to the actual CDC website. Do they have it, a Facebook page? <laughs> they probably don't need it, but I, I don't know. They probably do, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, the CDC and – and what's great is you can go there and, and just actually – a lot of people don't understand the CDC is a government organization. Whether you trust the government or not, it's a nice clearinghouse for research articles. So if I want to read what somebody actually – their actual research on something, I can go there, click on it, pops up, and I can read it myself. Oh, so that's great. Okay. You know, it's not like you have to trust the CDC if you don't like the government that much, uh, but but they can link you. That's a good clearinghouse for legitimate research articles. So they're uh, like a dealer of information. You could say it. I think they'd be fine with that. <laughs> I'll run it by them next time they call me. I'm going to my dealer, CDC. <laughs> yeah, they they probably do need a little bit of an upgrade on the cool factor, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So we'll I'll t- I'll run it by him. Maybe they'll call you. Yeah. You never know. Um but but what I thought was kind of interesting about all this, we know there's, you know, we have uh, a lot of struggle in treating people who are even people who are ready to to be treated for substance abuse. It's about 48 to 72 hour window of opportunity. When a person says I'm desperate, kind of hit a rock bottom, I'm ready for treatment. If more than 72 hours go by without getting evaluated and getting into some sort of treatment, people often uh, stop wanting to get treatment. Well, it's not that they stop, but the addict brain takes over and will talk you out of it. When I was doing uh, marketing for Pinnacle Recovery and people were up at the detox facility, a lot of times people wanted to go home before they went into treatment. And our job was to not let them go home because the chances are if they got home, they'd get comfortable, they'd right. talk themselves out of it, and we wouldn't do it. So what we'd like to do is take you straight from detox into treatment right? and, and just take away that because you go home. Can you imagine you're in a detox facility and you just came off your drugs and you know you're getting ready to go into a treatment facility for 30 to 45 days, whatever it may be, and you want to go home and say goodbye to your kids, which which I get. But you go home and you see them crying and all that other stuff. I mean, it, 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 well, it's there's, tough. Well, there's that factor. Uh, there's a lot of times people may may legitimately be worried about losing a job if they go into treatment. Oh, yeah. And the other one is you kind of feel better. You know, you're like, well, I got this. I feel better. You know, I, I'm out of – I did the – the you know the detox and I'm feeling a little better about myself and 
Maybe I can do this myself, right? That's why me and my ex-wife had a kid every three years. Because after three <laughs> years, we were like, you know what? That wasn't that bad. It wasn't so bad. And she was like, we could do it again. I was like, yeah, I think we could totally do it again, yeah. right? And then you have another kid. You're like, man, we're back she, at zero she again. She watched that, play <laughs> yeah. that videotape back. And yeah. Be all right. But one of the things that helps with this very issue is actually telemedicine or you know remote um, medical visits where you they, that was something that was very slow in coming so, and kind of kind of looked down upon it was like this i mean in the beginning it was it was right if you remember pre covid you would occasionally see an ad on tv or a billboard that talked about like you can check in with your doctor anywhere and i i even laughed a little i'm like well i'm on a hike why do i want to check in with my doctor but uh i and then insurance companies unfortunately always have a say in things and they didn't want to find a way to pay for more treatment, so uh, so they would sh- lobby against it all the time. And so it was kind of clunky and difficult, and the technology, there was no major pressure to really r- rush into technology development. It was kind of slow in coming. Uh, we could use the same technology that they use for remote business meetings, but then the, the issues of confidentiality and, yeah. you know, all of those things come in because that's different. See, than when a I first came meeting. out, I thought it was very good for like rural communities that normally that's wouldn't where, have that kind of doctor right. or that kind of specialist, but you didn't want to drive all the way into town and all that stuff. So prior to this, our, you know, where I work, the University of Utah Healthcare, uh, they did remote visits for psychiatry and psychology. Well, no, not really too many for psychology, mostly psychiatry and just medicine checkups. And it was almost exclusively for rural uh, communities, people that lived far away and didn't really have access, the ability to come in. But now with the pressure from the change with the pandemic, then technology is being worked on 24-7. And we have uh, not just medicine appointments, but therapy appointments and all sorts of evaluations. And it's getting better and better. It's much more effective. I've said a bunch of times on the show, I never thought therapy would work very well. Mm -hmm. And I can make an argument that it's best always in person. But for a lot of people, I mean, think about this. If you uh, need any kind of appointment, and you you live anywhere but just right around the corner from the place you need to get to, you're probably taking several hours off of work. Or Easy. if it's a kid, you're getting mm-hmm. them off school. You know, I see a lot of, you know, adolescents and older kids. And for the, you know, let's say they live down in Draper and I'm in downtown Salt Lake. And they don't drive. Their parents got to take off work to parents drive Parents have them to take off work. They, yeah. They've got to miss a half a day of school. Uh, it's not always possible. I had lots of cancellations back in the day because parents would call and say, I'm sorry, my boss won't let me off. I can't bring my kid in. And uh, today I had two therapy appointments where the kid was able to stay in school, actually just step into a counselor's office, uh, have the visit, and then go right back to class. How slick is that? That's pretty good. Yeah. So the same thing with substance abuse. Now, there are a few hiccups. One of the things is how how well can we... You know, if we just try to evaluate somebody's substance abuse problem the way we always did on an in-clinic visit, we we need to make adjustments there. But the reality is we're seeing, uh, you know, improvement in access and therefore we're getting improvement with identifying or diagnosing problems and getting people into treatment. And then some of the treatment can be remote and prescriptions can be prescribed remotely. I mean, so I wanted to sort of end the show on a bit of a highlight. Yeah. We, we have the pandemic. There are new uh, strains and variants coming Omicron. out. Omicron. Something like that. Sounds like a transformer. Right. Me. Right. And, and uh, so we, we're having struggles that way. 
And because of the pandemic, we've had an increase in opioid use and deaths and all sorts of substance abuse problems. The good news is the light at this end of this tunnel or something positive that's come out of this bad year and a half is that I don't think it'll ever go back. I think we will always have access via telemedicine. And the truth is people say, well, not everybody has that technology, but it's becoming so slick. You can do it right on your phone. And yeah, we're, we're fortunate here in America to have cell phones available to most people. But uh, what's becoming more and more common is on a computer. And most people have a computer or a, a phone or an iPad. Uh, and those things might be able to be made available to people who can't afford them. You know, if you have an elderly uh, parent or somebody who's disabled or somebody for some reason financially can't afford it, there there can be programs uh, developed to, to, to provide those for people. But I can do a therapy session on my phone. I, I try to not do that and use a bigger screen and everything, of course, but I can. Yeah. And, and so anyway, I just wanted to end on sort of a highlight that healthcare is trying to meet this new uh, crisis of mental health and substance abuse that's come as a result of the pandemic. And this is one way I think we're meeting it pretty effectively. Yeah, I mean, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And we will figure it out. Yeah. Innovation, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's pretty neat. And Necessity I would, is the mother of uh, invention. Invention, there you go. <laughs> I, was, I don't know what I was thinking. But uh, what I want to say is because – We've had some naysayers uh, on the, on mostly social media say, "Well, I I can't get there. I don't know where it is. I don't know if I, you know, ah, we're 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 addressing that." Yeah. Now you can do it from your home most of the time. I'm telling you, if you want it bad enough, you can get it. And we can get people in that sweet spot, and before 72 hours is up, we can get them on and get them in for treatment. I think that's pretty neat. Hey, thank you for stopping by and listening to Project Recovery today. Don't forget the Project Recovery is brought to you by our friends at Know Your Script. Org. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.